Welcome back, Looney listeners, to another episode of Internet, a Moon Knight podcast. This episode, it's Sidekick for them. Not the run. Ray has stupidly decided to leave me in charge while he's off at work this week, so I'm here to burn down the temple that Ray created, but luckily, I won't be alone. As I'm here to review the latest issue of the Bemis run, I'm joined with two superstar special guests. You've heard their beautiful melodic tones before. We're joined by Tommy and Chad. Boys, how you doing? Great. Happy to be here. Doing super. There you go. That was Tommy and Chad just there. This is your first episode. Uh, thanks for joining us. We have these two boys here. Without further ado, let's get into it. So boys, it was free comic book day this past week. Did you guys manage to get out to your store? Chad, go for it. I did not because I live about an hour away. So, yeah, not that great. Yeah. And I live about 60 seconds away from my uh, <laughs> favorite and local comic store. But um, I unfortunately was not able to go out. My wife's best friend got married yesterday. And, um, that, that was what I was doing, you know, going to a wedding. So, um, but I do want to give a shout out to, uh, my local comic store, Tardy's Collector's Corner, uh, Gavin, Deanna, uh, the owners and, and Abby, the, their faithful helper. Uh, they had a really cool program set up. Um, they gave away the 52 free comics to, uh, you know, somebody that had posted on Facebook and had kind of uh, blown up their advertising. And they also gave away a signed Venom print that was sent by Marvel, I think, or maybe by Sony um, for the upcoming Venom movie with Tom Hardy. And they also gave away a bunch of uh, Hulk hero clicks from uh, the Thor Ragnarok series to the first 30 uh, customers at the store. So they they just they I'm just like I I know a lot of loonies have a lot of favorite uh, local comic stores, but mine in Grand Rapids, Michigan, they always do a great job. And I wish I could have gone, but I know that they're gonna save a couple issues for me for next week. So, oh, nice. Um, as someone who firmly believes that comics are more important, weddings, I will very much say that I made it to free comic book day. Part of my cat is attacking my microphone. Excuse that. He doesn't like free comic book day. Yeah. A bit of a twat. Uh, yeah, I made it to mine. Uh, Kaboom Comics is my local one in Toowoomba. If we somehow manage to have some listener who is also in this uh, kind of backwater big town. Um, Kaboom Comics is a great little store. Uh, they really just love getting people into comics. Um, kids especially. Like, um, my mum who's a teacher went in with me and they were happy to just, you know, without even asking for it, give away a bunch of comics for her classroom and stuff like that outside of, you know, the free comic book stag stuff as well, just getting kids in the comic, everyone in the comics. I smashed out a uh, whole bunch of uh, specials down there. I've got my free comics. Um, Marvel put out some good ones. we got Avengers, Spidey, New Coats, Captain America looking good. And I got the Transformers one, because in the end, that's all I care about. I'm not going to lie. I'm a fraud. I'm on a Moon Knight podcast. So they had, they had Ta-Nehisi Coates, Spider-Man? 
or uh, Captain America. Yeah, in the um, Avengers uh, free comic book day special at the back, you got a preview for it, and it looked really good. Nice, awesome. Because I've been, I mean, one yeah. of the reasons that I picked up Black Panther, you know, two or three years ago was because Ta-Nehisi Coates was getting on that. Um, and he's just, he's one of the most, I, I feel one of the most important voices in America right now. Um, and I, when I saw that he was coming in to write some Marvel comics and, and Black Panther, no less, you know, I jumped on that and I've really enjoyed his Black Panther run and we'll see where it goes with this whole Black Panther in space. But, um, but writing Captain America, I mean, that's just, that, that's what the, that, that's what America needs right now. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Couldn't have said it better myself and it's really good. So hopefully if your store still has a copy of that left behind, they'll get that there. But yeah, I hope, uh, everyone listening managed to get it to, um, their free comic book there this last weekend. Uh, hopefully snag a deal free comics and just support your local store because, uh, Comic stores are pretty important, you know? I mean, we could all go digital, but that kind of sucks. I like digital a bit. Shops, though, also pretty nice. But I started explaining most things. So, Ray, while not here, decided to fill in my job for me at being the best host of this podcast. And he interviewed uh, two creators down at his uh, local in Sydney. King's Comic is a massive comic book store I wish I could go to. Fantastic. They have their own podcast, uh, Serious Issues run from uh, the King's Comic Place, but uh, Ray, uh, almost taking over, Tommy's uh, man on the street, to run against this time, but instead we're just doing the, uh, just a reporter, a lousy reporter, <laughs> nothing more. Uh, he managed to get two from Tom Taylor and Nicholas Scott, so starting off, we'll uh, add in his uh, little review, uh, interview, not review, with Tom Taylor. Hello, this is Ray from Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast just here at uh, Free Comic Book Day at King's Comics in Sydney. Um, I've had the pleasure of uh, having a signing uh, done by Tom Taylor himself for my X-Men Red. Um, And just want to say, hey Tom, how are you going? I'm very well, thank you. (laughs) Um, I just want to take uh, 15 seconds of your time. I just want to see um, what what makes uh, Free Comic Book Day important for you. I think... I mean, it's pretty obvious that comics are the single greatest storytelling medium in the world, so I think anything that brings more people to comics to this medium is fantastic, and that's why I'm always at these things. I'm happy to do these things for free and just be here and make sure that people experience these things. Uh, Tom, just want to say, like, as a fan, we really appreciate you always taking time for, for the fans and having the chat, so really appreciate it as well. Um, also as well, I mean, apart from, say, the X-Men stuff, um, can I ask uh, any projects that you are currently working on or that you want to give a shout-out to? Sure. So uh, currently working on Injustice 2 for DC Comics, uh, just finishing up on Wolverine, uh, doing Adamantium Agenda for Marvel as well, which is a Spider-Man, Iron Man, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage miniseries crossover which is fun, and the Deep TV series, which is on globally, uh, and a bunch of other stuff. I stay busy. Cool. <laughs> Excellent, Tom. You, uh, you've got definitely no shortage of work over there. Um, just finally as well, a little quick one, because we are a Moon Knight podcast. Um, yeah, Moon Knight, any, uh, any favourite runs then? Uh, I'm not sure of my favourite run. I, 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 more recently, like I like what Max Bemis is doing at the moment. Um, I really liked uh, like the art choices that Declan Shelby did, like where you know with the with the pure white. Um, it was just a beautiful idea with Warren Ellis. I mean, you know, Warren Ellis is always a genius, but 
that run ran really well together. And I've loved other stuff. I mean, I liked him in um, when he came into Ultimate Spider-Man and things like that. Like, yeah, he's a great character. Fantastic, Tom. Thank you so much for your time. And Loonies, uh, please catch any of Tom's work. Uh, he's doing, he's killing it with the uh, with the mutants at the moment. So, um, thank you, thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thanks, Ray, and thanks, Tom. Uh, Tom Taylor, big fan of his. He's writing all new Wolverine, X Men, Red, Injustice. He plugged, you know, but um, been a big fan of his. I saw his panel uh, while I was down at um, Sydney Gold Coast, and yeah, just a big comic book fan. Doesn't surprise me that um, he's a Moon Knight fan as well. I imagine he's probably read just about every hero on the shelves. Um, I think we can all agree the uh, Ellis run, pretty up there. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Shall we master of his craft? Um, yeah. Uh, he just about knows most superheroes at this time. I'd be excited to hear him on a uh, Moon Knight book anytime soon. We'll just have him in a run of his. Um, but yeah. Well, I mean, we also have uh, an artist I'd love to see on that run with Nicholas Scott, which I'll hand back to Ray for their interview. Okay, Loonies, um, here at Free Comic Book Day at King's Sydney, um, and I've had the pleasure of having some action comics signed by Nicola Scott. Hi, Nicola, how are you? Hi there, how are you, everybody? <laughs> That's good. Um, look, I just um, thought I would assault Nicola with a couple of questions. Um, first off, Nicola, as well, apart from, um, I guess, Wonder Woman, uh, what are, and of course, Black Magic as well from Image, um, what are the other projects in the works that you can probably talk about? In the works, uh, look, they're, they're the only things that I can fit in at the moment. Black Magic in particular is quite a sort of long form, uh, it's slower to produce book because I paint the whole thing. So, yeah, it, it, that's pretty time consuming. I was doing a series of Mira covers because uh, Mira had her own title for uh, a mini series leading up to the, the Aquaman movie coming out later this year. That series is still coming out. Um, and besides that, there are a couple of things that are in the pipeline, but they're quite sort of a fair way off as yet. So it's sort of premature for me to talk about it because we're only just starting to talk about it now with the company. Oh, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and something I asked Tom Taylor a bit earlier as well, why, um, why do you think Free Comic Book Day is important for both fans and, and for creators like yourself? Oh, look, I think it's, it's one of the very few international events that comic fans, comic retailers and comic creators all over the world can participate all at the same time. You know, it's, it's, it's like a convention happening, happening concurrently globally. And that in itself is quite the thrill. Yeah, fantastic. Um, another, just a couple of final questions uh, based on Moon Knight because this is a Moon Knight podcast. Um, are you aware of Moon Knight? Or do you know much about Moon Knight? I am aware of Moon Knight. I don't know a lot about Moon Knight. Okay, no worries. Um, look, I personally would love to have you um, on artwork doing Moon Knight. I think you'd draw an awesome Moon Knight as well. Um, just last question, uh, Moon Knight versus Wonder Woman. Who do you think will win? Wonder Woman every single time. <laughs> Of course. Sorry. <laughs> of course. Thank you so much, Nicola, for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Nicola. Uh, sad that she hasn't run any Moon Knight. I'm not going to lie. Which which run would you guys recommend, admittedly, to a first-time reader? <laughs> my my go-to is always 2006. You know. To that? Oh. 
So get on the Houston. Uh, you know, you see Mark at his lowest. There's, as we see with 194, uh, you know, there's a little bit of origin mixed into that run. Um, honestly, I would say do Houston, jump into Vengeance of the Moon Knight, and then hit Lemire and fall in love. Because with Houston, you get some of that dirty, raw action. You get some of the backstory. You see the character at his lowest. With Lemire, you get a little bit more of the refined um, coming to know the character through that, that meta perspective or trying to understand his psychology as he, too, is trying to understand his psychology. And that's where you fall in love. But Vengeance of the Moon Knight has some great action, just pure action. Um, that's the what the, the heroic age which I know not too many people enjoyed that run. That was what, like 2009, 2010, 2011. Um, but honestly, the, like the, the, Houston, get into Vengeance of the Moon Knight, Lemire's run, that I think would seal the deal for a lot of people. Yeah. I, I'm going to be cliche and actually completely agree with Tommy on this one. I really love the intense action of the Houston run. I just everything seems really uh how do i put this in his element like just the way that mark interacts with things it supports my theory this complete bonkers conspiracy theory i have that mark is actually a mutant because he just accomplishes crazy insane feats of you know dexterity and strength it just he's got to be meta on some level and then, man, I'm gonna ch- I'm gonna challenge you on that later today, Chad. With with 194, Ooh. respectfully, respectfully though, because I think that's a really cool idea. But with 194, I think we got a, a few nuggets to explore. So, well, I suppose we can go mining together. <laughs> so, there you go. Um, we're gonna go back in time and send Ray to give uh, Nicola those suggestions because can rep the boy enough. You get so hopefully. Next time we see Nicola, once we go back in time, she'll have read the Houston run, fall in love, and we can expect her art on a Moonlight book soon. Because she is amazing. I'm not sure if you guys have ever read Black Magic, but it's about witches and cops. And it's in, like, black and white with a bit of, bit of colour. They needed with these great, you know, pencils. Just amazing. So, yeah. Thank you, Ray, for dropping in those two interviews. Uh, two incredible creators. We actually have some wonderful talent down in... Um, Australia, luckily, we're not that backwater. We have those two incredible people. So if that is enough, you can get stuffed. Thanks, Ray. There is a reason we're here, and it's not just Free Comic Book Day, I guess. Although we do love Free Comic Book Day. We're here to talk Moon Knight. Boys, there's not much news this week. I'm not going to lie. We got got a bit bit of uh, here and there. But before we actually jump into the news, have you guys seen anything recently? Anything Moon Knight related? Anything generally related? For news? Yeah, no, not much. I think the last two weeks have been built, uh, and the news Moon Knight news cycle have been built upon Kevin Feige saying that, yeah, maybe Moon Knight one time in the future, but probably not. And Yeah, I, mean, I know he's real, but... Yeah, <laughs> I, I realize that he's a comic book character, but I'd rather have Nova before him. So... <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of really pushed me. You know, over the last, you know, year with ITK, but also just the last, I don't know, maybe three years with the Netflix series, 
of, you know, hey, maybe Moon Knight will show up because originally, you know, hey, maybe Punisher will show up and then Punisher does and then he gets his own show and then, hey, maybe Moon Knight will show up. Maybe they'll do like a um, a Daredevil run where Daredevil takes over the hand and, you know, Moon Knight comes in. And But at, at this point, I'm just... I, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, I'm, I'm not getting my hopes up on anything related to MCU with Moon Knight. We'll see it. I want it to happen, but, you know, I'd much rather see, which is one of our the news items that we'll discuss here in a second, but a, a tie-in series with Moon Knight and other Marvel heroes in the comics, so. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, we haven't had popped up. Um, I've been sort of keeping up my pull list. I've, you know, seen Infinity War a couple of times now. I've um, read some Transformers comics for the first time in my life. And then um, I basically just read my free comic book day ones and the leftovers, so I wouldn't even know if he's had, uh, appeared in um, any comics recently. So, look, I think I'll take this one. I suck. I'm sorry, everyone. Um, yeah, I think, uh, Chad, reading anything exciting or anything Moon Knight-related? Um, I've been trying to uh pick up on this new uh thanos line that they've been pushing the uh one with frank castle as ghost rider cosmic ghost rider oh yeah and that's just that's just crazy like everything that goes on with uh the cosmic ghost rider also being thanos's hand and everything that comes along with uh uh the fallen one have you heard about that yeah, yeah. Did you read the um, annual as well? Yeah. Oh, God. It was so good. It's so brutal. Kate's um, did our damnation run, but this one he just went full-on, basically, screaming death metal at Thanos as we watched him kill the universe and all these crazy shenanigans. Such a good run. Um, but, yeah, I think... Um, I guess we'll get into... Our bit of news then, the first one hopefully you guys have seen, that um, Greg Smallwood has returned to Moon Knight, technically. Uh, Deadpool variants are happening next month, where basically Marvel pumps out a bunch of variant covers for all its books that involve Deadpool. So now you've got Deadpool 2 coming out. And um, for Moon Knight 195, Greg Smallwood did an amazing Moon Knight Deadpool crossover cover. You guys check it out? Yeah, I saw it the other day. I'm I'm pretty excited for it. <laughs> So yeah, it's like this fantastic, gritty, just dirty cover of a Deadpool Moon Knight crossover fighting mummies. It's like, and just Smallwood doing all the great intricate detail. It'll be in show notes, but I mean, I don't pick up very much, I guess, small store and all that. But this is one you kind of got to get. Hopefully, this one's a bit more ubiquitous than some. Yeah, and the cool thing with variants, though, and and I know that um, with Secret Empire, I, th- I want to say with some of their variants, it was a little difficult to get into. And with with uh, the Legacy variants, you, uh, local stores had to order, you know, two and a half times their usual pull to get some of the variants. But I want to say that I, I want want to say that with these Deadpool variants, these might be direct orders. So if you do have a local comic shop, uh, you may be able to talk to your store owners, and they may be able to just request that that variant be sent uh, without any incentive for the actual store. Um, and there probably is going to be an upcharge of about a buck, but you know what? You know, Part of that goes your local comic shop's way, so good for them. 
Hell yeah. Actually, that is one thing, you know, Marvel sucks for variant publishing. But I think Moon Knight, this latest Moon Knight run, has been pretty variant cover bare. Have we got any, I guess? Uh, just just for the first issue. You had the... Um, oh, really? You had the uh, character head promo. Um, there was the fantastic... I forget who did the art, but the fantastic issue or cover with uh, Moon Knight's cape on fire. Um, I want to say there were five or six variants for uh the first issue um right in fact i have them right next to me i would pull them out but i got stacks <laughs> of other comics on top of them and they're all moon knight comics trust me but you know but I, I do think that but for each of these subsequent issues so we're on to the seventh issue with 194 right now from 187 and uh, i don't think that there's been any variants for the second through seventh issues of bemis's run so, well, I mean, admittedly, yeah, I think this is one you got to get. Um, I've got a few of uh, small covers before. He did an amazing one for Grass Kings, and his style of white and scratchy pencils and intricate detail is amazing. So, and just figure like out the, the the Archie comics too, right? I know you and Ray have spoken about those, but like oh, the yeah. Vampirella, like I was thinking about picking up Vampirella and getting into some of those Archie comics, but you, you have to say no at some point, right? <laughs> but boy, I mean, just the art, and not just on the cover, but in the Vampirella issue, I flick through it in my shop, and it's just, he's just a cool artist, you know? There's something about, and, and I know that we'll talk about it later today because of um, Templeton in issue 194, his art borrows from Smallwood, uh, you know, to say the least. Um, but But Greg Smallwood just has an incredibly interesting style. And I, you know, I hope he comes back to Moon Knight someday. Yeah. Well, I mean, talk about Ty Templeton's art and we'll see, um, the impact Smallwood had on the issue in just a bit, but in a very, um, much unrelated news, just cause we like Jeff Lemire and he did mention this one would uh, be taking cues from how, uh, with what he did with Moon Knight. Um, Art for his Sentry Run has dropped online. Some previews for it. Incredible. Uh, Kim Jacinto on art. Just pumping out stuff. I mean, technically this isn't Moon Knight at all. Why did I add him? I don't know. I think they just look great. I think if you love Jeff Lemire, if you loved his Moon Knight run, I think the Sentry one is going to deliver just as fantastically. And something too to say, though, about the Sentry, Lemire, Moon Knight, there is a connection in that uh, the Sentry and Moon Knight have fairly important interaction in 2009's Vengeance of the Moon Knight. Um, and that, I have to say, I don't keep up with the Cosmic characters that well, but I want to say that that heroic age with the entrance of the Sentry was one of the last times that the Sentry played a fairly important role in Marvel Comics. And please do correct me if I'm wrong, listeners and Chad and, and, and Connor. Um, but while Vengeance of the Moon Knight was not written by Lemire that was an important interaction between Moon Knight and the Sentry. And now we have one of the greatest Moon Knight writers, Lemire, taking on the Sentry. So who knows, you know, maybe Moon Knight will come into that and maybe he will play a role on the street level. But, um, you know, it, I think, do think it's enough to say, though, that just as we saw Jeff Lemire did such an incredible job exploring the psyche of Mark Spector in his 2016 run with Moon Knight, the Sentry is a character that is built upon um, 
like like two selves, right? With the sentry and the void, and and I, that that's a character that you know Jeff Lemire knows how to write. So I am very excited to see what he does with that. Hell yeah! So um, he played a part in um Donny Cates' Doctor Strange one before Damnation. Oh, that's right. That's kind right. Yeah, part. just just uh, about yeah. within the last year. And I believe um this one sort of jumps off that position. So check that out. Um, I know I'm guessing some of you've been reading his um Damnation run. So if you haven't read the rest of his Doctor Strange run, go back. It's like six issues. Fantastic. Got to do it to yourself. For yourself. Um. And then I guess if uh, nothing add to my um, adding in previews that don't belong, a uh, bit of a discussion. Uh, we'll add some spoilers in here. The Damnation finished uh, last week, week, week before, possibly, mm-hmm. depending on our dates. Um, and it is something coming for the future, a possible Midnight Suns run. Yes. How are we feeling about this? I, I'm super excited. Uh, I just the, I think the optimism, because... Uh... Let's see. Was it was it was it Smallwood that was doing the art for yeah. Midnight Suns over the last year? On oh, Twitter? I did like um, yeah, yeah, like a preview and the, the concepts of. and 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 again, you know, that had not been accepted by Marvel, um, but but the idea too that Smallwood would would be asked to come back to do the art for that, I think would it, it, it's very exciting. But um, and I was trying to pull the issue from my stack here, but the. If I recall, there's there's this kind of this like there's this ending, there's this denouement after Damnation Four where Wong bring or no no is it it's Doctor is it Doctor Strange that brings everybody back to the Sanctum Santorum because Wong yeah. Wong is still in Hell and um and so Doctor Strange brings some not all of the Midnight Suns like I want to say that like Man Thing isn't there I want to say it's uh, it's it's Blade and it's Moon Knight and it might be Elsa Bloodstone, but not not all of the the original group from Damnation is present in the Sanctum Sanctorum, and Doctor Strange just throws out these Manila folders of images of potential Midnight Suns, and you see a number of different characters. I want to say like Clea's involved with that, you know, Doctor Strange's old flame. Um, but I really like that idea that, hey, we're going to have multiple teams. We're going to have different groupings of individuals. And Moon Knight will hopefully be a part of that and hopefully will be rewritten as a stronger character because he was garbage in Damnation. Um, Absolutely. But I, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> but I just think that the, the idea that the Midnight Suns is something that Marvel is thinking about working with is really cool. You know, this idea that we're going to get back into horror uh, on a mainstream or we're going to get back into this idea that we're, we're dealing not always with the cosmic and always with the street level um, and always with the Avengers, but that there are these other realms of the Marvel Universe. And obviously there are, you know, different subgroups of, of readers that, that have an interest in this. So I'd. I, I was really excited. I, I love those three extra pages that they added into them. Was it Damnation 4 or was it the last Doctor Strange issue? Do you know? I think it was Damnation was, 4. Uh, Damna- okay. Yeah. Kind of like the shot of him throwing like a bunch of card, like uh, photos on the table. Yeah. Dossiers, yeah. really. Yeah, like, yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a, a, a good one. <laughs> I mean, it, was, it was almost like he was, uh, Doctor Strange was the Nick Fury, right? He had done all this background research and he had found out all this information about these different individuals, what their strengths were, what their weaknesses were. But 
considering that Doctor Strange has been the manipulator, right? I mean, that's and that's something too that I'm wondering how they're going to rectify that because you know with the new Doctor Strange arc, he is like out in space, just like <laughs> Black Panther is trying to find himself or trying to find his, uh, you know, his source of magic or whatever it is going to be. So, I, I do think that there's some um, anachronistic. Uh, sentiment to that, like that, you know, that maybe that moment isn't necessarily in line with the Doctor Strange comic and the Avengers comics and the Moon Knight comics, that maybe this is just kind of happening in the background. And we can just assume that all the characters are doing their own thing. They're all their normal selves, aside from wherever their current arcs happen to be. So regardless, I'm still very excited about the potential for Midnight Suns. Yeah, I'm, I mean, we have the Spirits of Vengeance from the Okay, probably not terrible. Um, and Marvel does kind of have a history of why they're setting up properly that Midnight Suns is getting I think this was a fairly well-selling event. Um, I think it got, a, it got a lot of chatter, even if it wasn't, like, my personal favourite or something like that. And I really think that this could be something that happens um, in the future. This is sort of a demand, and... By fans, so I mean, I definitely want it. It also depends on the creative team. Like even this one, kind of seems that even if it's kind of like doesn't get characters like in that right group. Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll be keeping an eye out for any snippet of that, but um, hopefully that actually comes to fruition. Especially if Bats is involved. Oh yeah, we need him. Like, because uh, I mean, it sounds like Mark Wade isn't using him at all when he goes into space. So. I mean, Bats, Bats was the saving grace for Damnation. That, I mean, what a cool character, you know? Especially in the times, just down in hell. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> just, just love it. Um, anything else on that, boys? Let's just, let's call up Greg Smallwood. Let's, all, all the loonies, hit him up on Twitter and ask him what he's doing and put some fire behind them. Cause I think that yeah, a, a still... midnight suns with Greg Smallwood at, 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 at the pen would be great to get some art in there. Completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> he's still doing variant covers. So he's not gone for good. We just need to, um, just pull him into it a bit more. Done. Do that. But let's do that. All right. Decide. Glad, glad we're on the grants. What? Uh, while we're here, we've gotten through some news, um, yeah, pretty light weeks, I think, actually, one sort of thing I didn't get time around checking, so I'll do a spotlight on it next week, hopefully, there's been some, like, um, you know, those Etsy and fan-made books that have had, like, Moonlight in them, have you guys seen some of those popping around the group? No? Yeah, yeah, actually, let me, and let's see if I can pull it up, I don't want to say that's an Etsy book, I think that's something that's actually licensed by Marvel. DC put some oh, of these out, really? and I um, purchased uh, the Wonder Woman one, the Batman one, the Green Lantern one for my eldest son, and he absolutely loves them. And they're all they're, they're character education books, basically. But Aluni posted this, and I've got it queued up here, I think. Um, let's see who it was. Uh, okay. Uh, Joel Lewis, who uh, interviewed Lemire not too long ago, I think, right? It was Lemire. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Marvel has licensed this. It's it's a book written by Brendan oh, yeah. Deneen, 
pictures by Kale Atkinson. It's called Night Night Groot. And one of the panels is Rocket Raccoon, you know, putting presumably baby Groot or elementary age Groot to sleep. And Moon Knight is there kind of watching over Groot. And the, the line in the book is, they'll keep watch over you and guard the door. And so, you know, presumably Rocket is, has told Groot that don't worry, go to sleep. We have heroes that are going to protect you while you sleep. And Moon Knight is guarding the door, which is pretty cool. And it's, uh, you know, he's in an all-white outfit. Um, he's got his classic crescent belt. Uh, the crescent moon is in the right direction. Uh, take that <laughs> damnation. Um, but he also has this like this black inner cape, which is really cool, and it offsets against the the white costume. And I just I would absolutely I'm Connor. I'm glad you uh, reminded us of that because I think that's so cool that here we have a children's book that has you know characterize these Marvel characters of Groot and Rocket Raccoon as something that is totally family friendly. And we have a hero like Moon Knight, which is who's always thrown to the side. He's always thrown into the gutter. And I just like the idea that like my son, my son, my, uh, he, he knows that I love Moon Knight. He knows who Moon Knight is. If he sees him in a (laughs) comic or a picture, he can say, Oh, that's Moon Knight. But if I were to read this book to him, I just like the idea that here we have a children's book and he can point to that character that I love so well, you know, just as well as the three little pigs or, you know, any other classic character that I've grown up with and here Moon Knight is in just a subtle way. So I just, I I really like that idea. I think it's really cool and I'm glad it's not another Captain America, another Wolverine, another Iron Man, you know, just to keep it popular with the movies. But here we have a really interesting character and it's in a, a medium that children will easily recognize him. So I just, I, God, I thought that was so cool. Yeah, wow. I can't believe it's licensed. Yeah, I just um, added a link to, um, you know, the book. So we'll be able to <laughs> order it in as well. Fairly recent. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's another book like that. I'm looking to, um, in the group some time ago. and put that in next week. But hell yeah. Get your kids in the moonlight through one page. That's awesome. All right. Okay. Well, there's been a longer news segment than I was expecting. That was pretty great. Got a children's book out. That's all I need. So now we'll go over the moon. <gasps> this week. We're looking at uh, Moon Knight, Volume 9, 194, the uh, seventh, or s- yeah, seventh issue in the uh, Max Bemis Moon Knight run. Uh, it is a sort of one-shotty sort of issue uh, with Todd um, Templeton taking over uh, Bar- uh, Justin Burroughs, while he's been uh, away for a bit. Um, and for us, instead of me blabbing on about it, we have Chad here to do a lovely Bare Bones. Alright, so this is the Bare Bones for Moon Knight, issue 194. Writer is Max Bennis. Artist, Ty Templeton. Colorist is uh, Kieran Smith. Letter is VC's Corey Pettit. Cover artist is Becky Cloonan. And the design is Nick Russell. 
Mark Spector and Frenchy sit down at a kitchen table, armed with mugs full of muddy servings of coffee. The discussion? Deciding if they weren't mercenary turned vigilantes, what vocation they'd pursue. Duchamp posits that Mark could be a Brad doppelganger with his chiseled jaw. Spectre disagrees. He is not interested in being a knockoff. He's a creator. His imagination is active. Almost like it's someone else's life entirely. No freaks, no threats, no more bloody last stands. But Mark knows that to be free of his visceral talents, it'd be a life not his own and not his origin. Cutting back into time, the Spectre of Vengeance reviews his new case. Rabbi Yitz Perlman, a real cut-up. Perlman delivers a joke to a crowded dinner table with his fellowship in faith. A young Mark sits at the sideline as the punchline drops, bringing the Hasidic hall to laughter. According to disembodied Spectre, Yitz has the best jokes, a real funny man. Play by play through history, there's nothing funnier to the Jews than making fun of their own kind. Arguably, leading MO is comedy in concert with catastrophe, via oppression on one land or another. The cycle is endless, according to Mark. His people thrive on some kind of hate. The humor may be selling point, and it certainly has purchased young Mark's adoration of Yitz. As his handiwork would entail later in life, Mark is driven to be an explorer, leading him to the bowels of his synagogue storage cellar, all a certain fedora-clad whip-wielders. More in tune with those out of his age group and wise beyond his years, Mark keeps a term for Perlman, Shoah. He asks about this word to his father, a specter of sadness. Insisting his acuity and readiness for darker works and a life of black nights, he is old enough, old enough to be in adult circles, birds and bees and genocide of nationalist pride. Grandpa Spectre met Yeats during the Shoah, and it was the Shoah that relocated the family from native lands in Czechoslovakia, the old country. Another scene, Mark's idle banter with Yeats, cheerful and honest. Swing by after seven, Yeats says to the young man. Study and fellowship is never a down note with a rabbi. Much like Mark later in life, his father has vapid moments of lapsadity. He would zone out, where in his place there would be a man absently doing chores in sort of fugue state. There was always a man behind the curtains, but sometimes the light show died down. Mark wanted to know his father almost as much as he wanted to bolt for Yitz's after study. Early bird gets the worm. With the rabbi's office locked, Mark goes down into the depths of detective mode in the synagogue basement again. A hatch is all the treasure he lusts for today, 
a trapdoor in lieu of a menorah. Always delving deeper, out of his own depth should be Mark's first tattoo. With a heave of Herculean effort, Mark rips the rope and latch from the door and loses his balance, plummeting into the abyssal shelf of the unknown. Down in the darkness, a dim light and a glimmer of fright. Reminders, Yeats was free after seven. Perlman has a sinister light painting shadow across his face, but Mark has no such glamour. All fear and a bloody nose vying for an explanation from Uncle Yeats. The truth is offered to Mark, silence for sincerity. Nothing is what it seems, and the shadow is more blessing than the light could ever bring. Uncle Yeats has a calm expression that is daunting, his facade a cornerstone. The light summons recognition of a young man hanging by his feet via the ceiling. Yeats Perlman, real name, Ernst. The boy is dripping with blood, face bound, body chained to the darkness from above. Ernst kneels to Mark and starts another joke. The red red crovey is no laughing matter to Mark. A rabbi, a Nazi, and a serial killer. An interesting assortment bar none. As Mark makes a break for the ladder, Yitz deftly snatches his foot and slams Spectre to the ground. Stunned, the prepubescent boy witnesses that the body is yet living, that Ernst is yet decent, and Mark is yet ready for adulthood after all. Yeats proclaims that the grandfather in Czechoslovakia was a desperate and idiotic man, some intrigue back in time, Nazis, misdirection, misinformation, the darkness that looms in the hearts of men. It stretches the shadow of Yeats's life, the primordial ooze that boils inside the gray matter of his brain. Is an enhanced metahuman device. Ernst loves killing Jews. It paints his eyes in blackness and his blade in catharsis. Ernst reveals the Shoah to Mark, that the Holocaust was the Shoah that the Holocaust was an engineered to be a running experiment on turning a Yeats into an Ernst. The horror is far from kosher, there's no safety in numbers. Marlene and Beatrice make a scenescape spanning years in Mark's timeline, pouring the layers of sediment into Mark. Everything has led to this moment from years ago. Mark lunges at Yeats in the cellar of sin, burying his teeth at ra in the rabbi's arm, the same teeth that the Sun King will punch out. Mark is lifted off the ground only with one arm of effort, and Ernst slams Mark's back against the stone and cement. One left cross from our youthful Avenger, and he is free from this trap. He springs for the ladder, out of historical hell. Uncle Yeats calls out after escaping protege, 
a vow to return, to always come back. Not Moon Knight yet, but powerful enough in resolve. Mark is now strong enough to stand for something other than another day, with Yeats transferring to another synagogue. Mark was safe for this briefest moment in time. The time passes, and the hunter-killer of Ernst would be back. As Frenchie thanks his closest friend for trusting him with this new, deep revelation to the heart of Mark Spector, he comments that the honor is also horrifying. The honor is horrifying after all. And that amongst this problem, he must still confess his long-standing mental health concerns to his daughter, so he can understand a few things her father about her father as well. Alone in her room, Mark walks Dietrich through the words, then explains the synopsis of his mental dissonance. Lots of weird things going on, probably something that's been in the family, can't help it. Laying back, relaxing in the beige and manila bed, they talk through trauma and how Uncle Jake and Stephen are there. That through our friends and family, we can fight fear and foe, such as Uncle Yeats, with his evil grin and surgical sins. Thanks, Chad. Always appreciated those incredible tones. We can set that to a nice um, beat. We can sell that. What's that? A uh, big movement, um, like voice ASMR or something. Yeah, that's that. That's bare bones for you. That's what we deliver week to week. So, my fellow loonies on the pod, what do you think of this issue? Just our uh, general thoughts before we get into is the first sort of a. Uh, one-shot story in the uh, next part of um, Max Bemis's new uh, redefining Moon Knight run. Chad, you did the, you did the bare bones. Why don't you go first? So I was I really liked this issue. Like I would honestly think that well, it's actually kind of difficult to go on about because. I have conflicting ideas about it. Um, I like that it picks up on not just Mark, but his family and his family's history, and it's very rarely touched on what exactly has been going on in the Spectre household. And as it develops, you know, we it's revealed that, you know, Uncle Yeats is uh, not exactly what he seems, that he has relatively non-specific enhancements involving his brain and uh i honestly think that it might lend to the possibility that mark has these enhancements possibly drifted down through his grandfather's work with uncle Yitz. and that's where that's where i'm gonna challenge you tonight i think <laughs> I, I too, I, I really enjoyed this issue. I, I thought it was great. Um, 
uh, I th- you know, now that we're kind of getting in what we think are these one-offs, um, with the next issue, bringing in the collective and then, um, I'm blanking on what's going to happen in 196 based off of previews, but I know that in 197, we've got this cover and a description that talks about, um, multiple serial killers or multiple, uh, you know, criminals all kind of coming together to try to attack Moon Knight. But the idea that we have all of these one-offs that are going to serve a purpose to develop the character of Mark Spector, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I know that 194 has received a great deal of criticism uh, because, again, it's another origin story, and I think more on that later. Um, but I thought that, you know, again, coming in out of Legacy, coming into uh, the, the new Marvel movement here uh, with the new editor-in-chief and trying to build, you know, another starting point for potential new fans, uh, I really enjoyed this. And so I know that there's a couple things that I really want to focus on in our discussion, but I would, I would say that overall I was happy that I bought this issue. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think I'm with uh, both of you and definitely say that there's a lot of, there's a lot of really good stuff here. I think this works really well as both as a one shot and part of a continuing story that saw like really saw those plot threads in the first arc kind of mean more. And I think it works itself really well into Moon Knight um, canon. It's respectful to sort of everything that's um, come before it. Uh, but there's some specific elements with how the sort of elements, I suppose, almost thematically, that I um, take some issue with. And I kind of, uh, yeah, just sort of some things just, don't always sit right with me for this issue. But I think um I'm not sure where to start or who wants to um who wants to start with their first aspect here. Well, I I think why don't we start with religion? Um because that's one of the uh overarching themes that I think is most present throughout uh, Mark Spector's tenure in Marvel Comics uh, is this idea that he's run away from the faith that he was born into, and then he adopted a new faith with Kanchu. Um, perhaps that was forced upon him, um, but then he at times has rejected that faith. So, I mean, is that okay with you guys? If we kind of start with the idea of religion? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, so one of the um, things, oh, no, uh, Connor, go for it. I'll just uh, add in quickly that one of the big things about this is actually that um, I've no idea whether um, Bemis is still a practicing uh, Jewish man, but he was raised in a um, some community. His parents are part of the Jewish faith, and his uh, grandparents even were, um, I believe, actually um, Auschwitz survivors from back then, which he is, um, you know, in, uh, involved into powerful subject matters on as you know, this definitely comes from a place of the, you know, actual history and mm-hmm. his own faith in here as well. Um, and I, and this is something that I can't, you know, act that I, I know of. I was, I was raised Roman Catholic. I, you know, could tell you about my own faith journey some other time. Um, but I, I can say that I have a deep appreciation for Judaism 
um, because my entire childhood came out of a faith that came directly out of Judaism uh, when looking at it through a traditional lens. And so I think have always thought that Mark Spector as a Jewish character was something that was really cool because even though in the communities that I grew up in, in Metro Detroit, um, Judaism did not seem like it was uh, a minority. Jewish individuals did not seem like they were a minority where I was growing up. I still had this understanding that to be a Jew was to be a minority in where I, in my communities. Um, and so, you know, a number of my friends growing up were Jewish and I, that was something that I always was pretty aware of that, that, you know, in conversations with some of my best friends that they saw themselves as almost being an outsiders within the nation within which they lived of the United States. And so I've always just had this interest in understanding Judaism. And I think that that's absolutely something that has drawn me to Mark Spector as a character. Because, you know, Mark Spector, Moon Knight, Jake Lockley, Stephen Grant, they're all outsiders. You know, even though Stephen Grant tries to uh, use his wealth to get a leg up in society, we've read that character in Max Bemis's run as the, as the one aspect or the one personality that is always on the outside. You know, Stephen Grant t- seems to have the ear of Khonshu. Um, he seems to be closest with Khonshu throughout those first six issues of Bemis's run, but at the same time, He's the one that's always on the outside. The focus has always been on Mark and uh, Jake Lockley. And so I think that the just the idea that we are now exploring Mark's reaction to his father as a rabbi, his reaction to his upbringing in the Jewish faith, and the up, his upbringing in any religious faith, but you know, in, in an orthodoxy here, is something that's uh, incredibly interesting. Um, but two, the rejection, you know, we can talk about this forever. We have another origin story. I know that this, uh, on, on Reddit at least has received a great deal of criticism. Like, why do we need to create a new origin story? We know that Mark's Jewish. We know that his father, um, was, uh, maybe a lackluster father. We know that Mark kind of pushed away from his father and the, you know, ergo pushed away from his faith. And then the irony of then coming to worship an Egyptian God that empowers Mark. And, you know, there's this idea that this is maybe the struggle of every child that's raised in some strict faith uh, is something that is interesting to explore, but is it regurgitated over and over and over again? But I do have to say that I really enjoyed this. Um, I have a couple notes here too, that that if uh, any listeners or any loonies that are interested in exploring the religious background of Mark Spector. Um, one of the earliest examples that you can go to is from the original run, um, issue number 37, which was the penultimate issue from Moon Knight's first run. Um, but this was written by, I want to say it's Alan uh, Zelenitz. I think it's Alan Zelenitz. But that issue explored uh, Doug Munch's, uh, or Mench's, excuse me, excuse me, first characterization of Mark as a a Jewish individual. Um, But uh, Houston's 2006 run, number four, goes back into talk a little bit more about um, Mark's father as a rabbi and how Mark pushed back against him. Vengeance of the Moon Knight, 
Hurwitz's 2009 run. Um, let's see, I think that's issue number three. Uh, and that, that's the same issue, ironically, where uh, uh, Bushman is uh, resurrected from his grave. And then there's a flashback, too, where Mark is... Uh, we learn a little bit about his father. We learn a little bit about his brother, Randall. Um, and we learn a little bit about his Jewish background. Uh, and then, of course, Jeff Lemire's 2016 run, issue number 10, where we have um, the beginnings of what I think Max Bemis was trying to explore with this origin um, in issue number 10, where uh, we see Mark in his yarmulke on the street, uh, he meets Stephen Grant for the first time, and it's just, you know, it's a mere image of himself. Uh, Mark has a conversation with Conchu outside the office of a psychiatrist. Um, but it's just, I don't know. I just, I, I think that this whole issue exploring Mark's Jewish background was something that hasn't properly happened for 30 years. And I think that it's about time. Um, there's a couple articles online that maybe we can post in the show notes, but criticism from you know various people over the last couple years about the importance of religion in comics and the importance of seeing comic characters um, come to understand religion as an institution that maybe they're born into or something that they uh, something that they go into. Um, and so I think just from that regard, this is a great way to bring in a new audience, either of, you know, people that would call themselves Jewish and, Hey, here's a character that they can identify with or individuals that are interested in that, you know, intersection of comic lore and religion as it exists in the real world. So I just, you know, I, I jumped on this because of that. That's something that's made Mark so interesting to me as a character. Um, and I, I really appreciated that. All right. Did you want to continue on that um, chat or will I jump in first? Go ahead. All right. Um, yeah, I think, I think some of the criticism is pretty unearned, calling this like, oh, why do we need another origin story? I, I feel like this isn't like replacing or changing. It really just starts to feel like filling out another part of his life. Like I think the parts of the Lemire run we got, you could fit in after this. And, you know, I think the way we saw, you know, you see that one of the uh, big aspects I'll pull up in a bit is the way DID manifests in this issue, how that happens with Stephen Grant appearing in the Lemire issue 10. Um, and stuff like that, and this just sort of adds a bit to it. But I think one thing that is um, earned in this regard, because I feel like, Tommy, you covered a lot of it greatly, is just, I think, one of the big things, and this is, is just how much Conchu groomed him in the Lemire run. Like, this definitely sets up the um, fall from faith, but I think there was a lot of joining that Egyptian faith and being so separated from his father due to Conchu in the Lemire run that it just felt a little missed here. Like, it's just such a such a strong connector and such a strong show of what kind of the evil Conchu is marred with just the, you know, the sad realities of life and parents being unequipped to deal with mental health. And obviously something as extreme like this happening here, it just feels a bit, it's not like super bringing down, but like it just, just kind of something else I wanted in there just to make it 
you know, just kind of connect as well as the, um, with the amazing Lemire run. It's interesting that you mentioned the idea that like the, the parents that are unable to, um, Oh, Connor, I'm going to butcher your words here, but the, the, the parents that are unable to deal with or, or confront, uh, you know, mental health problems or mental health issues, because, you know, when we see, uh, Rabbi Specter, Mark's father, um, I, I can't give you a page number here cause I'm looking at the floppy right now, but this is the scene where, uh, after Mark, uh, gets the joke from, um, Rabbi Yitz, where he asks, you know, how does a Jew celebrate Christmas? And then Rabbi Yitz says he installs a parking meter on his roof and very funny. But then we go directly to this scene and in the floppy, there's no advertisement separating this. We go from a full page of eight panels where we have this kind of jovial mark. Uh, Rabbi Yitz is acting the fool, acting the clown, you know, really getting buddy-buddy with Mark. And then we go into this uh, a series of, let's see, it's one, two, three, four, technically five or six panels, but four horizontal panels where you see this very, very um, stressed relationship between Mark and his father. And it's interesting because Mark's flashback in the frame story, Mark says that he essentially loved his father. He says his dad was great, which is something that I have never seen in a Moon Knight comic before. I've never seen my dad was great. I've always understood Mark's relationship with his father as something that has been stressed. Some, he, he kind of regrets the fact that his father was his father. He looks back and sees his father as a failure. That's what I felt at least over the last, you know, 30 some years of Moon Knight. But here, Mark seems to be sympathetic with his father. And I know that a lot of that comes out of the trauma of the rest of the issue and Mark starts to maybe realize in his conversation with Frenchie in that frame story that maybe his father knew about Ernst. Maybe he knew about Rabbi Yitz and his real personality or his, his real identity. Um, but if you look and, and I don't know if you guys have the issue in front of you right now, but again, this is the, um, this is the, the series of panels where we have eight panels of Rabbi Yitz and Mark Spector. And then on, the next page, you have the four or so panels of Mark in the garden with his father. And it's really interesting because Mark's father uh, is shown watering the garden. But then in that same panel, there's this offset where we have this close-up of Mark's father, the rabbi, right? This, this proud Jew who, as a religious leader, is set within this circular panel. And it almost creates this halo-like effect if you think about traditional Renaissance uh, Christian imagery. And we see Rabbi Specter in the scene where he is zoned out, right? And then in the, in the next panel, he's sweating, he's stressed, he doesn't know what's going on. Maybe he too is switching between uh, different personalities. If we go with that idea that uh, the DID that Mark has and perhaps uh, Deatrice, his daughter has, is something that's hereditary, not just something that's set on by trauma. Um, but he's kind of set within this traditional Christian uh, panel, which I, I thought was something that was pretty bold uh, and really made him stand out. Um, but again, that really speaks to this idea that Mark 
is troubled in his relationships. Uh, you know, he, he finds this really close relationship with Rabbi Yitz. He finds this stressed relationship with his father, who I would feel clearly has dedicated his life to, to Mark and loves him. Um, but again, it's just that, you know, beyond just religion, we also have this other thematic idea of, of the, the stressed relationship between father and son, which then plays out at the end of the issue with, with Mark and his daughter. So, you know, again, even for a lot of the criticism for, for why this is maybe just an origin issue, it's another origin issue. Why do we have to do this? I really thought that this was a fairly sophisticated comic book. You know, there was, there was a lot of prose. There was a lot of text. It was uh, a lot of reading. I, I think I spent longer reading this issue uh, than any other comic book that I've read in the last probably year or so. Um, but I feel that there honestly were a lot of fairly complex thematic ideas that were played out throughout this, this book, trying to create a character that isn't just a beat em up sock em on the street, street character, but this is Mark Spector is much more complex than even fans of 30, almost 40 years, um, see him as so. Yeah, I think there's a lot with the father and making him more lived in as a character, just seeing that, you know, as much as he was a terrible father to uh, Mark, in the end, you know, life isn't so black and white. There's a lot to do with um, um, Rabbi Spector's own personal demons as well, which I think showing the quiet and how it affects him as well was really well done. Um, Chad, where would you like to lead us next? Well, I would actually like to hit on a couple of those topics, like, not contrary-wise or anything. It's just, yeah, I, I was looking at the uh, page number on the reader, and just to clarify, he's talking about page 9 uh, with the garden scene. And, yeah, I completely saw that when I was going through the first few reads, just, like, the way that Rabbi Spector just zones and he's clearly sweating. It's not like a small, like, graphical thing because it's also a very sunny day. He is out there. He is not okay. And uh, just the way that he interacts with Mark, it's they're in separate playing fields. Like, you can see Mark, he kind of looks over his, you know, dad over his shoulder. And he is looking very confused, like, doesn't know what's going on over there. I honestly saw that entire scene as possibly, you know, his father's been watering the same patch of garden for like 10 minutes. And uh, the whole interaction with Rabbi uh, Yitz on the previous panels, I th it really feels like Mark wants a different father that's what i felt like i don't know if i'm just reflecting on that differently and maybe projecting a bit but it's just he's wanting and seeking out a father and chooses well whatever he can grab and i i, I would agree i mean i think it's it, it that is pretty clear that the, that Mark seems to be presenting 
this idea that he has this affinity for uh, Rabbi Yitz and he sees him as a male adult that is much more interesting than his father. I mean, I mean, if you just take a look at the, the text, uh, you know, Mark as the adult flashes back and says that I, you know, I don't want to convey that I liked Yitz more than my dad. My dad was great. It's just that sometimes he wasn't all there. He would zone out sometimes and just disappear, which is, again, he's speaking to Frenchie here, whatever. But when he got too deep into it, you'd see a flash of something, something he knew, something he felt. And that is clear foreshadowing, I would feel, for the fact that Mark's father knows Rabbi Yitz's secret or knows some inkling of that or knows that Rabbi Yitz killed uh, Mark's grandfather or, you know, but there's, there's something there. And I like the idea. I like the ambiguity that maybe Mark's father also had DID. Um, and that, that would then lead into this idea that Deatrice, Mark's daughter with Marlene or Jake's daughter with Marlene, however we want to look at that, perhaps also has DID, which we've spoken about before on ITK, you know, the fact that she has pink hair, the fact that she has named herself Deatrice. Um, I want to say that in the second issue or the third issue of, um, this must be the third or the fourth issue of Bemis's run where Deatrice, um, you know, mentions this idea of separation too in some subtext. Um, but that's, that's, this, that's an interesting idea that maybe there's this, uh, throughout Mark's genealogy or throughout his, you know, his family line that maybe he has inherited this power, which manifests itself in the next couple pages where he actually comes face to face with Ernst and, you know, this new power comes within him and, and, you know, this too, I think would lead into an interesting conversation, uh, Chad, where you were mentioning that, Hey, maybe Mark is a mutant or maybe he's inhuman, right. And that his power somehow comes alive in this moment of trauma. Um, but I also would love to discuss the idea that maybe Mark's power really is based off of the power of the mind or the power of religion and the power of faith, which is something that was spoken to directly by Kanchu in maybe issue 199, or not 199, excuse me, 189, the uh, third issue of Bemis's run, uh, where Kanchu, you know, and there's the, the scene with... Um, Cthulhu and Kanchu is trying to instruct Stephen and Jake and Mark and talk to them about the, the power of faith and this idea that if you believe in something, you can create a power. And that was something that just, and if that applies here, with Mark uh, fighting Ernst in the basement of the synagogue and this idea that Mark, because of his DID or because of this traumatic experience, wills something into power that is so exciting to me because that seems to speak to this idea that the human this basic person this basic character if they have the will they will find the way and that seems to also share this idea that within the marvel universe who cares about the celestials who cares about the eternals who cares about the beyonder who cares about you know the one above all and and the the tribunal if you as a human will it, Mark Spector, 
right? You can have more power over anyone or anything. And that too, again, really brings me back to this idea of how Moon Knight is just my favorite Marvel character. I love the possibility here because so many other characters within the Marvel universe have these finite rules, right? Think, think like, and step outside with DC. Superman has his powers because of the yellow sun, right? But here, Mark Spector, we don't know anything. And I get that, okay, if we keep writing him, then we'll figure out his rule set and we'll be able to explain him. But at the end of the day, the mystery that's here right now seems to suggest to me that Mark Spector may not be the strongest hero in the Marvel Universe, but he has the greatest potential. And I just love that. And that's what this issue gave to me. The power of crazy, baby. We're back. <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, I think... I guess that also... Um, I guess I'll just slide into my aspect, which is... One of where sort of I divide into one of the why I love this issue and why I'm a bit iffy on this issue. So the real shocking stuff of this issue, the real driving force behind when we're talking about Mark being able to do this and escape um Uncle Ernest. You're all Uncle Ernest, is that, you know, this terrible event is something that would actually trigger his DID, which is something pretty important understanding just what happened, you know, this was something terrible that happened to him, something he never spoke about to anyone, it's why he manifested Stephen Grant as a, as a friend, and why he's talking to um, Deatrice to, you know, not be like his father, just sort of, um, you know, be open, be, you know, supportive, be loving, you know, make sure she has the best life she can, which is, you know, a really, really strong thing, which definitely comes from, you know, Max Bemis's Thing of um, being a father himself and, you know, he's talking about his history with mental health as well, which is really strong. But I think this is just such an incredibly, um, you know, disturbing scenario as well that with, you know, this Nazi Jewish killing man hiding out as a, as a Jewish rabbi, you know, just... It's just so intense that sometimes, you know, like upon reading this and having to go through again and collect my thoughts, I think there's a lot of that which its intensity and its reason for being intense has a purpose, but I don't, it's kind of hard to explain because I also suck at explaining, um, just doesn't quite sit with me always, despite the fact I know the, um, the, what Bemis was trying to achieve here and did achieve as well, there's just even with Bemis' history, there's just something about this specific scenario that just is so intense. It just doesn't always work to me as a reader living in this moment and seeing its intensity. Is it, do you feel that way because Ernst is a Nazi? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely really tough. And, you know, I've been, you know, sort of uh, seeing opinions online and how this sort of changes. There's like a lot to do with, you know, how this is coming from someone who is Jewish. Because if this wasn't coming from someone who is Jewish, this would be incredibly problematic. But there's a lot to do with, you know, using this history. I think, in a way, which obviously reflects to Max Bemis that when coming to the page of someone who wasn't doesn't always 
you know, a quiet connection just sometimes feels so intense and gross, um, regardless of like how well written, how put is like that incredible scene where um, Ernest describes the like living condition of um, Auschwitz, I believe, or just a camp. That incredible like was it like two page spread with all those panels? Like that was intense. Like you could feel the intensity coming through the page, and you're like, holy crap! But yeah, I don't know. There's just there's something a bit icky about it, and something I guess. I don't know, like, it, it's really tough, there just isn't, there just isn't that, um, connection I want to have, and sometimes it just does feel a little, you know, evil for almost evil's sake, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, assuming that Mark, or, or excuse me, Max Bemis has this, uh, this history with Judaism. I'm not that familiar with him, but I'll trust you in the fact that he was raised Jewish. Um, and I, again, I, I'm not Jewish. I can't speak to that, but in, within the last 100 years, the greatest evil that seems to have existed on our earth has taken, I think, multiple forms within the, the, the Western sentiment, right? You know, we've moved from, hey, the Nazi regime was the greatest evil that ever has existed and ever will existed. But then, you know, again, from the Western perspective, well, then you had the Islamic State, right? And they were crucifying Christians and they were starving Yazidis and they were decapitating uh, even Muslims and this and that. But then we're also, I think, disregarding the fact that, like, you have these terrorist groups to use that name, but you, you also have these dictators or you have these groups throughout the world that are committing genocide arguably even in this minute right now and the idea of trying to understand what evil is from a human perspective is something that is i think very difficult for many people you know i think that for somebody that is growing up in the streets of tokyo or the streets of uh you know uh i don't know london or the streets of washington dc or the streets of melbourne australia is going to be very, very different from one another based upon the experiences that they have. And so here we have presumably a uh, or an author that has Jewish heritage writing a character that comes from a Jewish heritage. And in that character's mind, perhaps the Nazi mentality, the Nazi regime, is the ultimate form of evil on earth. You know, forget Thanos, forget... Uh, even um, Mephisto from the Damnation run, right? To make this real and to make this manifest in the world that the average comic book reader is, is coming from. The Nazis, for a Jewish character, represent the greatest evil because that is the power that eradicated six million plus lives beyond all the other victims. And so I do understand this idea that, and Connor, to give credit to your your point, that this is kind of intense and this is maybe this is just appropriating um, something that is used so commonly. But at the at the end of the day, Mark at the I mean take a look at the last panel of this issue. He's still disturbed as he is holding his daughter, Deatrice, as they are in uh, her bed together and he is snuggling with her and he's trying to protect her and he's trying to put her to sleep. And then you have that image of Ernst 
with those evil eyes and that, that knife is bleeding off. And I don't mean bleeding as in like human blood. I mean the, you know, the comic panel term here, the, the knife is the one part of that horizontal panel that is bleeding off of that image into the previous image. And that leaves Mark disturbed. And this is Mark Spector. This is the guy that arguably has less fear than Daredevil, right? This is the guy that wears white in order to scare the people that he's going after. He wants people to know that he's coming after them. And you have this, this, this one panel where he is upset. He's disturbed. I, you know, again, the Reddit commentary and the dissent... And uh, I, I get the idea that, hey, we're using another Nazi character to scare another Jew. I get that. But I think that there's something underlying Mark's, even Mark Spector. There's something here that you don't necessarily have to be Jewish. You don't necessarily have to have Jewish heritage. You don't necessarily have to come from a faith system and have a strong faith in a God or whatever God had. But to have this idea that the ultimate form of evil here, it's manifest in this Nazi rabbi, right? The greatest irony of all. But regardless, any newcomer can come to this issue as an origin of Mark Spector and see that this is the greatest form of evil. And it's manifest in this way. And it might be different from my understanding of what that evil is. But this is the greatest form of evil. And that evil has shaped Mark Spector into the hero that he will become. And, you know, in the moment, he gets this amazing power. It's thrown into him in that instant. Maybe it's Jake Lockley. Maybe it's Moon Knight. Maybe it's Conchu. Maybe it's Stephen Grant. And Stephen Grant knows how to throw down. But the fact is, is he kicks Ernst's butt and he escapes that prison and he becomes Moon Knight throughout his journey. So I can't say it enough. I really enjoyed this issue. And I, I, the religious aspect, the mix, the blend... Maybe that's nothing for what Max Bemis was going after, but I came into the issue expecting meh, and I got a nice surprise, and I think this is a really great starting off point for the Moon Knight for the next 10 years. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely, yeah, I agree with that. I think, you know, even with my problems with, you know, what I was talking about. I think the way this shows how his DID manifested and that fear within him is just, a, one, a really great idea for comics in general, but just really well implemented. Some of like the best writing Bemis has done since he uh, took it to the title. So, yeah, that's sort of, um, yeah, um, move on to chat if you've got anything to add or move on to a next point take the reins here boys yeah um i just wanted to touch on something really quick uh the whole rabbi yitz thing so yeah i'm looking at the page that tommy was talking about with yitz just glaring like he has an absolute fixation onto like the point of vision and so the knife actually stretches off of the panel over into parts of, you know, Mark and his scenery. And I'm just thinking about the possibility that Yitz might actually still be coming after Mark. Like, yes, 
really hammered it in into the entire like yeah. focus of you know when Mark was a kid, I will always come back. And it's just the way he's thinking about it. He's like cuddling there with Beatrice. Everything's peachy. Everything should be fine. But Mark is shaken to this day. Yeah, and I think you've got a note there, Tommy, about this as well, and I think it's one we all can uh, seem to be concurring with, that this idea of immortality and pure evil and, you know, going after Mark definitely seems like, you know, this is a big bad we'll probably see again if Max Bemis continues with this title for a while, almost like the biggest of the bads will probably see Mark uh, face in this. But I think, too, with this, this the idea that, like, Rabbi Yitz or you know, Ernst as he goes by that he, um, is always going to come after Mark. That doesn't matter because Mark believes that he's going to come after Mark. Right. And that again, speaks to the power of belief. This idea that, Hey, if as Kanchu mentions with all that Cthulhu imagery in the, the first, in the third issue of Bemis's run, I want to say it is that we through the power of belief, you will these things to exist. And so if Mark believes in Kanchu, or if Mark believes in himself, or Mark believes in his three different identities beyond Kanchu and Moon Knight, if we see that even as a fifth identity, right? That he can Mark can empower these different identities. The fact is, regardless of this idea that hey, Adolf Hitler is dead, he commits suicide almost 100 years ago, right? 75 years ago. Um, Rabbi Yitz here, right? He says he's empowered. He says that he has a super serum. He says that, you know, he, he can prolong his life by continuing to conduct these murders and continuing to, to pleasure this dark center of his mind. Um, so maybe Rabbi Yitz, maybe Ernst still is uh, uh, extant. Maybe he is going to be a villain that we're going to see again. But the fact is, none of that matters because if Mark believes that Rabbi Yitz is excellent, if, if Ernst is still alive, then that's going to trouble Mark. Perhaps, even then, if Mark believes that Ernst exists, then maybe Ernst will exist so long as Mark uh, uh, wills that into existence. And I just, again, coming from a, you know, a religious uh, aspect, this idea that, that people have the power to have a faith, people have a power to will things into existence, people have the power to empower themselves and empower others through belief and through faith. I just think that that's really cool. Um, but also here, dangerous, because Mark is clearly troubled, he's upset, he's afraid, and he has not let go of this little nugget of Ernst. You know, he he can't forget. He's telling Frenchie, remember that. He's telling his best friend, his confidant. He's telling somebody something that he has never told Marlene and up to this point, his daughter, Beatrice. Mark is telling Frenchie first and he's confirming this idea that he has this belief that Ernst still exists. And because of that, I think Ernst does exist and perhaps will cause some trouble in the future. But again, I just think at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if Ernst ever comes back. This is going to be something that for the foreseeable future is going to be at the center of Mark Spector. It's going to be something at the center of Moon Knight. This idea that, you know, regardless of who the next writer is, 
Mark's religious background, his his uh, descent of that faith, that's important. But the fact that he has an original nemesis in Ernst, that's going to keep him going. And that's going to challenge him. So, you know, I, if you recall, Max Bemis mentioned in an interview before the, the series came out that, hey, I think everybody, you're really going to like this next run. We're going to create a character that is going to be kind of like Batman's Joker from Moon Knight. And everybody thought, hey, it's going to be uh, the Sun God, right? It's going to be patient 80, it was 86. Is that his name? Yeah, 86. Yeah, it's going to be patient 86. I'm dubious. I kind of feel that maybe Mark's Joker is Ernst. And maybe Ernst manifests himself through different villains or different enemies. But at the end of the day, Ernst is Ernst. Ernst is this original memory of carnage. Ernst is this original trauma. Ernst is this original, um, honestly, in a way, original sin. <coughs> and Ernst is what brought about Mark Spector's trauma. So the end of Moon Knight, the end of Stephen Grant, the end of Jake Lockley, perhaps the end of Mark Spector is the end of Ernst. And so therefore, the two of them, because all of those identities come out of this character, they're eternally intertwined. And if one of them dies, the other dies. So I don't know. I know that that's kind of crazy. And I know that, Chad, you've got these mutant theories, and I want to respect that, but I think Ernst is a real deal right now. I think I think this is the one. And it's honestly that, that third to last panel on the last page of the comic with that knife bleeding out in that crimson red, it stays with Mark. I don't know. I'm super excited. I'd love to see where this goes. Yeah. I think great discussion. Um, who, uh, who wants to pull us into the – I just took that aspect then. Who wants to take us to the next aspect? Um, I kind of have an aspect that I'd like to talk about a little bit. Um, family. I, yeah, we've been talking about family a lot on different subjects, especially about religion. But I've, there's this thing about the entirety of family and his unity is, you know, he's betrayed constantly. Yeah, Mark Spector by different aspects of his own life like the dissonance with jake and jake going behind his back having extramarital relations with marlene it's just problematic no matter where he turns his family is somewhere lapsed the only sacred part seems to be deatrice well until last issue and that's just kind of this recurring problem with him. That his family would like to be there for him, but can never manage to save him from whatever falling out he has with his own faith in himself. Yeah, I think my favorite parts of the um, issue being uh, the discussion... Um, Mark is having with Deatrice, like, it's just so perfectly balanced with the terribleness of his past and that willingness for, like, the one, almost the one thing of his life, you know, Deatrice is, and Marlene have suffered through a lot, and Deatrice is there because, you know, because of betrayal, basically, as you said, but, you know, there's still, it's like the one thing he's clinging on to now, even as we saw in the, the last issue as well, that panel, um, you know, it, it really just feels so sweet and sincere, 
and actually showing the one thing Mark Spector is caring about and that progression of character to actually be here and go, you know, this is how I change from, you know, my past to someone else's future, helping, you know, helping his daughter, talking to his daughter, and there's just so many sweet moments there. It's it's so genuinely, genuinely strong and sincere, and there's great panels of and dialogue of Deatrice actually being a kid, the Dizzy Otis, and all that with the dissociative identity disorder, and that just whole discussion just feels like, such a new step for the character, but one so born from everything that's happened with Mark's past and with family, essentially, and everything like so many writers have cultivated before that. I'll jump into like my last bit I really want to talk about with this issue is just the artwork. Um, I think I was really shocked to see him come onto this. I know him best as the Batman Adventures artist. He's an incredible cartoonist. He built such a distinctive look from the TV show and his own brilliance. And in the same way, you know, and he's almost like he did with, he took the Batman animated series and made it his own. He's actually taken what Smallwood did, obviously, being such a big fan in the way that incredible run did with the past and Mark's origin before is sort of retaken it and, you know, taken it um, into his own style and just made such a beautiful issue. I thought the, the artwork was fantastic um and i would agree but i don't know ty templeton from previous work as well as you do connor um but i do want to say that it just seems like he took a lot of cues from smallwood's design um beyond like the the regular editing marks like we can say that um marks uh his the scar over his left eye from the attack by uh, Raul Bushman is present. I think that that's pretty cool that, you know, we have this editing mark, but there's so many different scenes, not only in the first few panels of um, the issue where we have the adult Mark talking to Frenchie, but also several of the panels that show Mark as the child, they seem to be modeled perfectly after Greg Smallwood's run with Jeff Lemire, which I'm not complaining about. I like the idea that the art lends itself to a previous, the, 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 the immediate series preceding this, and that then seems to legitimize the connections that some of what Max Bemis is writing uh, uh, permits or allows to, to show connections between what Lemire has already reestablished for the character. I think that that's really cool. But at the same time, I think too that there were inconsistencies. Like, the, some of the drawings of Marlene and Deatrice, especially the uh, shots of them far away uh, where they're talking about the Shoah, they're talking about the Holocaust and that spread that goes across the two pages in the center of the issue. There just seemed to be some kind of uh, instances where there were um, some discrepancies and, and some panels made Deatrice look like she was two and a half or three years old. Some made her look where she was seven years old. Some made mm. Marlene look like she was a uh, 30 year old blonde haired, uh, you know, mother, whereas other issues made her look like she was a late teen babysitter, you know, that was joining Mark and his daughter for a jaunt in the park, which, you know, read into that how you want. Um, but so that that's one thing that I just thought was like, eh. but then the action scenes, wow, the action scenes were great. Um, 
Templeton, I think, did a great job, especially in the basement of the synagogue and that secret cellar. Um, if you flip to the page, um, it's right after the two-page panel of the, the Shoah description, the, the description of the Holocaust, where Mark strikes out. This is, this is what I would call his transformation. This is where Mark um, becomes Moon Knight in a way. Uh, I shouldn't say that because technically Mark doesn't become Moon Knight until Egypt. Um, but this is where Mark's DID sets in. So maybe this is the Jake Lockley setting in. Um, but there are several panel bleeds. Um, and the first that you notice, honestly, is the second to last panel of the page because Mark's bloody fist almost bleeds all the way into the first panel of the page. And it's just, oh boy, is it cool. And he's got his yarmulke on this whole time. And so it shows that, you know, in this moment, Mark's faith is still at his center and it's it's almost like he's defending his faith against this fake rabbi, this Nazi, this serial killer. Um, he's still centered in who he is as and, and, and who he was raised as. Or maybe if this is Jake Lockley taking over him or maybe if this is Kanchu coming into him, which I would love to connect this part of the conversation to the cover page by uh, Clooney, or excuse me, Cl Becky Cloonan. Um, maybe this version of Mark, uh, or, or this, this part of his identity or this aspect of his identity doesn't realize that the yarmulke is still on, um, you know, maybe he hasn't shed that yet. And then you go into that last panel on this page where Mark is trying to escape and he seems like he's afraid. And that's the point where Ernst says, I always come back. And I love that because for all the rage, for all the excitement, for all the strength, for all this hidden energy and this hidden power that Mark shows, regardless of whose identity has taken over him at this point, that last panel, the first word on that in that panel is Mark. And Rabbi Yitz is calling out after him and Ernst is calling out after him and calling him Mark. And I think that that's Mark in that panel. And Mark is afraid. This isn't Stephen Grant. This isn't Jake Lockley. This isn't Moon Knight. This isn't some embodiment of Kanchu, maybe, if that's possible, right? If we were to go back to uh, Lemire issue number 10, I think it is, where Kanchu actually manifests himself in this hallway outside the psychiatrist's office and talks to Mark. In this panel, in uh, issue 194 here, Mark is trying to climb up the ladder. He's trying to escape. And Ernst says, I always come back. And I think that that's the connection to those last couple panels of the entire issue where we see that Mark is present with Beatrice. He's in her bed. He's holding her. He's snuggling with her. He's trying to show her like, hey, I'm your father. I'm here. I'm ready to protect you. But that bleeding knife and that scary man from my youth is still very present. So just I, I Templeton, I'm looking forward to it because I think Templeton's on the next few issues, right? No, no, it actually changes for an artist uh, who does Really? Who's who's taking one ninety five? After that. What sorry, Connor, what'd you say? What who's on one ninety five? Uh one ninety five, I'm just pulling it up now. I can't quite remember the artist off the top of my head, but yeah, he basically is doing the next two runs and then that uh, two issues and then Burroughs returns after that. Oh right, right. But 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 Templeton is sticking around for a little bit though. No, I'm pretty sure it's just this issue. Oh. 
So somebody else is coming on for the next couple, and then Burroughs returns. Yeah. So Lopes. That's it. Well, let's hope they all do it justice, right? Yeah, as good as this, honestly. (laughs) But Becky Cloonan's on for the next bit, though, as the cover artist, though, right? Yeah. It's, uh, let's see, we got... Tune in for 195 and 196. She's got that very centered and zen brain uh, cover for 196. Yeah, that's right. And so the next issue is the collective. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then, yeah, and that 196, boy, that looks cool. I did want to say, though, that for 194 here, Clunin's art, I think, is, is really, really cool because if you take a look at the cover art for 194 here, you have this specter, and I mean S-P-E-C-T-E-R, or R-E, if you will, uh, British English, if we do that, um, where you have the specter of Moon Knight in these rags, almost like a ghost, a spirit hanging over Mark Spector, right? And Mark Spector is this child. He looks kind of hip. He's got these kind of good fit in pants, but he's got this huge, massive crescent. And if you take a look at his eyes, his eyes are perfectly white and he looks empowered. And one thing that I really just noticed tonight is that if you take a look at this cloak that is on this child Mark Spector on the cover of 194, this, the, the ghost, the specter, the reaching arms of Moon Knight, which we can presume is Khonshu, right? Or, or this, this aspect of Moon Knight actually stems out of this cloak. So on Mark Spector's right side, the cloak droops down onto the ground, and it just seems like he's wearing a cape. But then the left side of this cloak, uh, you know, which again we would read as the protective covering of Khonshu, this this white cloak, actually turns into the Spectre, turns into the spirit of Moon Knight that climbs over him. And that's something I just noticed tonight, but I think that that's so cool, this idea that Moon Knight is the cape, the cape is Moon Knight. If Moon Knight's Khonshu, Khonshu is the cape, but they're all Mark Spector too, and they're all tied into this body. There's there's this this tight connection. There's something that binds them all together, and I just feel like Becky Cloonan's art does that anew and afresh uh, uh, for the first time in a long time. You know, this is this is less the Moon Knight of say Vengeance of the Moon Knight, less of Houston. This is this is not the action packed beat them up, sock them up, street level. And this is more the psychological Moon Knight. This is, this is at this point, really the, the successor to Lemire's run. And I, I think that's really cool. And I think that Clunan's art does a, a good job of bridging that. Yeah, I think it's like, you're, you're so right. It's such like a new reinvigoration becky clinton is an incredible artist i'd love to actually see her do an issue here but it, there's something so amazing you're right about it coming out of the cape which i didn't notice but also just in general it's like the first time we see moon knight not as some para para uh like a parasite entity attached you know it's part of him it's it's protecting him it's alongside this incredibly this empowered boy ready to fight is also the this cape manifesting as something to fight alongside, you know, it's, you know, it's, um, symbiotic, whatever, um, you know, it's like, it's natural, they're connected, it's like almost side by side together instead of against each other. Yeah. 
Which I think, you know, the the symbiotic relationship and not to like draw on Venom and Carnage and all those, but but that, that's what it this this cover really seems like. And, and honestly, if you think about it, uh, at this point in Mark's development with Conchu, they Conchu needs Mark. And in many cases, as we see in the Houston run in two, uh, 2006 run, Mark needs Conchu. And so it is a symbiotic relationship. It's not some alien organism or some alien biometric suit that, that, that's been created. This is something that's spiritual or this is something that's psychological. At the end of the day, this is something that is not explained yet. Um, there's, uh, in fact, from a couple episodes ago, the ITK, Connor, you and uh, Ray took a look at um, the uh, Houston number four, um, which uh, I think was called, uh, that's from the bottom. And I think that there were six issues in the bottom. And so this is, you know, number four, the bottom, but that's where we are introduced to the, um, Oh, what's his name? He's the guy that can read everybody. The profile, the profile, right? Yeah. And so the profile says in that issue that these supernatural types, uh, that he has the hardest time with them because he can't read them. Right. They're not mutants. They're not. And so, <laughs> uh, Chad, that would be my sticking point, right? Uh, Houston's run issue number four, the profile says <laughs> <laughs> Moon Knight's not a mutant, but you know, stranger things have happened. Um, but these supernatural types are the toughest to read. And so I just, I love that. I love this idea that all the editors that we've had with Marvel, all the writers have, have kept this consistency. So for as inconsistent as Moon Knight has been, there's been this consistency that he is inexplicable. You know, you can't, you cannot properly explain Moon Knight. And so I like that because even with this origin issue, I mean, it says Moon Knight origin in the first couple pages of 194. And I know that that turns a lot of people off. Reddit exploded. But even with this quote unquote origin issue, there is still so much to Moon Knight that hasn't been explained because perhaps he can't be explained. He's loony moony. You know, he is... That, that's the reason why so many of us love this character. And even though we try to explain it, maybe he can never be explained. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I encourage so the I... explanation. I encourage, let's look into this character. Let's figure him out. But I know that at the end of the day, there's, there's never going to be one series where we're going to point to and say, yep, we figured him out. Because Mar <laughs> that, that's Mark Spector's struggle. He's trying to figure himself out. And I, I feel like he never will be able to. And, and, and that, you know, makes him a tragic character. But I think that that's also why many of us come to this character. We, we see him as a tragic character. We know he's never going to succeed. But we constantly are there behind him wanting him to succeed. And that's what I think makes reading Moon Knight a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Um, what's yeah, well, that kind of um, ties up my points. Uh, what, uh, anything you two want to uh, have to talk about, add to as well, before we wrap up this uh, review? Um, I think we've said what we had to say, but I, I just wanted to kind of talk about the uh, cape thing that you guys were talking about, uh, the possibly symbiotic relationship between you know, Khonshu and Mark and, you know, kind of making them, what's the right term, like, 
the way that they mesh, yeah, the way that they're basically parasites off of each other. They mesh together, and they together they make Moon Knight. They're not separated. Like they can't operate without each other. It mm. really reminded me, of, like, uh, have you read much Spawn? Because that's what it really reminds me of. Because this, yeah. It, now, I, I I haven't read much Spawn. I you know, I, as a child of the '90s, I I saw a lot of Seth <laughs> MacFarlane. Is it Seth MacFarlane? But uh, but MacFarlane toys. Uh, Todd MacFarlane. And, and, Todd, Todd McFarlane, that's right. <laughs> Seth MacFarlane's family guy, right? Yeah. Um, but, and and then, you know, news that uh, there might be a new Spawn coming out, funded completely by McFarlane, and I, I think that's really cool. Um, but but I would absolutely agree, and I, I want to, I, I don't think I can speak to it as well as you can, but just the idea that, you know, you have this parasite, or you have this entity that exists because of another entity, and it's a, that's a really cool idea. So Spawn's suit is like this, uh, it's a creature in itself, and it runs off the necroplasm that runs in his veins, it, like a specialized fuel for, you know, supernatural powers. Well, it has its own opinions, it has its own things, but, you know, when it comes down to it, every hell spawn that gets pumped out of hell, they all have this suit. And it generates different effects that complement the wearer. It's rarely the same, and it always has the same, you know, modus operandi. It just, you know, helps the hell spawn in its endeavors. Like, even when spawn is, you know, resurrected, it clings to him when he's no longer dead. When yeah, at one point he's no longer even a hellspawn. At one point he's, you know, out there doing average everyday stuff. You know, just fighting supernatural entities, and it's still there with them. And I feel like, even though he hasn't hit his, you know, uh, his what's the right term, point of origin, you know in uh, that cellar basement. He hasn't come out in his own yet, but he still has this spirit harbored within himself. And it kind of... I have this theory, another one, that a lot of... like the, Moon Knight's an inhuman? No. <laughs> um, I have this theory about the gods and belief systems and the Marvel Universe that because they're multi-dimensional creatures, they don't exactly exist in one point of time. They exist across all time. So I think that because they're intertwined, Khonshu can sort of generate himself along the timeline of Mark Spector. Which, that would... And that might be a really interesting um, concept episode, Connor, and to spread to Ray. But this idea that, you know, can we find evidence uh, within Moon Knight's run, but also within his guest appearances for this and, and, and other series uh, within uh, the Marvel Universe of this idea that Chad's bringing up that gods, like within the traditional sense, 
not just like Thanos or um, the celestials or these, you know, the celestial beings, but like gods from the, the human perspective, are they arguably more powerful than most other entities within the Marvel universe? And especially when you think about the multiverse, do they just manifest themselves as they feel necessary within the time that they feel necessary? So Chad, I think that's a really cool idea and I'd love to, I'd love to take a look at that in the future. Yeah. I think there's also actually a lot of weight behind that as well with a lot of stuff to do with like different planes of existence and especially the, you know, pantheon of the black Panther and actually Christopher Priest's black Panther run that actually uses Moon Knight and Conchu in the, in that dimension actually brings a lot of weight to your theory. If you haven't checked out those issues, the Moon Knight appearances in Black. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, and those are cool. I love those issues, but unfortunately I think Christopher Priest, what he did with Conchu and Moon Knight in those is he used those more as like a scapegoat and maybe scapegoats the wrong term, but he, um, but Moon Knight was, and even Conchu were, were, were like specters. They were, uh, they were, they were parts of like, Black Panther's dream or something like that. But still you have this idea that Bast, which is the Panther God or the Panther goddess, right? Which is the, the, the goddess of uh, Wakanda. That is something that comes out of in our world, uh, ancient Egyptian culture. And I know that some of our earliest conversations in the ITK community were uh, exploring the Lemire run, taking a look at the possibility that, uh, Bast might even play a role in Lemire's run as this panther god or as this cat god because there's a connection between Khonshu and Bast in the uh, ancient Egyptian um, pantheon. Uh, that I, I want to say that like Khonshu is the daughter or excuse me, Khonshu is the son or the nephew of Bast or something like that. But you know the possibilities based off of actual human imaginings are, you know, are infinite. And so I just think that, you know, in the future, it'd be a lot of fun to take a look at, um, at that aspect. Yeah, I really agree. I think that's totally something worth looking into and hopefully getting out maybe sooner rather than later. Shall we get into Crescent Dart ratings? Yeah, if you guys have um, totally, you know, we feel like we've covered this enough. I think there's been a lot of great discussion. I think we'll totally, and we'll kick it off with uh, you, Tony, I think. All right, I'm going to give it a one. No, I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> After two hours of conversation. Now, I I, I know that I'm probably kind of biased here, and I, I, I really enjoyed it, but I'm, I'm going to give this issue a four. You know, it's, a, it's an origin issue, and I know that many listeners and many readers – Ugh, they don't want an origin issue. I think that if we are going to have an or, an origin issue, I was really pleased with this. I remember I picked it up from my comic book store. I talked to my owner, had a great conversation, went into my car before I drove home. I read the issue, and I remember smiling all the way home. So I'm going to give uh, <laughs> Beavis's 194 a 4 out of 5 Crescent Darts. Yeah, perfect. Um, Chad? Um, honestly, I think I'm going to go ahead and give it a three. The strong three. Um, yeah, three, 
crazed Nazi rabbi serial killers. It's uh, three too many. <laughs> but uh, I really liked it. I have opinions about it. I liked the fact that if they're going to do an origin, it's jumping in at the origin of the person and when he became you know, a hero, he started doing heroic things. Not just, you know, hey, we're going to talk about this time he was a kid. But he actually developed his persona. And it was important. It needed to be looked at. And, uh, yeah. How about you, Connor? I think I'll, um... I'm a bit, I'm a bit torn on this issue. I think it's fantastic in a lot of ways. I think it's handling up DID. I think it's, um... Credible art. Credible, um... Credible coloring. I think it has some of the strongest dialogue Bemis has done yet, but I think it's thematic positioning and that gray area does bring it down for me a bit. I think outside of that, it's a really strong one-shot of an origin issue that doesn't quite act as an origin issue, explores some interesting areas, does it beautifully in art and in some parts of his dialogue, but I think thematically it does bring it down for me to, I think, um, I'll probably sit in the middle of about a... I'll get a 3.5. I'll sit nicely in the middle of you two. I think there's a lot of strength to this. There are some areas I'd rather pick up on, but I'm definitely not sad I read this, nor unhappy with what this does for Moon Knight as a character. I think it builds in a lot of different ways, and I'm very interested to see with what Bemis does with these one-shots in the future now. So, yeah. And I think I think the discussion points it's uh, brung alone in this episode are, like, show enough that there's there's a lot to this issue, regardless of whether it always perfects it or not. Right, yeah. So, that was this week's review. Next week, uh, we return to our classic runs with Hulk Magazine, Volume 114, and Moon Knight, Volume 5, Issue 5. We continue with uh, the bottom run by Houston that we have talked about in this episode plenty as well for its greatness. And I think for sign us all off, uh, you two boys got anything to plug? I'll, uh, I'll plug Chad. I think, Chad, oh. you're great. You did a nice job. There you go. <laughs> Aw, I think I'm going to cry. <laughs> no, it was, it's really great. I really want to step up and do this. I really enjoy ITK, and you know, it's great that I was able to finally step into an episode with you, Tommy, and Connor, actually able to make it today. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Feels like a call out more than a shout out. And then I think too, uh, we should plug um, Nicholas Scott and Tom Taylor. Uh, yeah, you know, they appeared at King's Comics in, in Sydney, and Ray was able to interview them. And uh, I know that Ray went to uh, Free Comic Book Day out of selfish reasons. Not that any of us <laughs> are holding that against him, but we know that Ray had a really great time, and he was able to meet two Aussie creators, which I think is really cool. So. Good for you, Ray, and also Nicholas Scott and Tom Taylor. Thanks for uh, helping to make ITK a stronger community. Hell yeah, and big thank you to you two for coming on. You know, I think I think we were even talking about having a just an hour episode, and we've had our hiccups along the way with the technology that are probably going to be a bit apparent despite our editing, but we've had almost two hours of great discussion, and I couldn't have done without you, Chad, and you, Tommy. 
So thank you for joining us and making you know ITK bigger and more of a community as well. And yeah, our pleasure, yeah. I'm sure. So thank you all very much for joining us as well, all at home. Thank you once again, Chad and Tommy. And uh, you can find us uh, in that Facebook group where we met Chad and Tommy at facebook.com slash group slash ITK Moon Knight. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash ITK Moon Knight. Our website with everything on it, all our links, all our episodes, newsletters, uh, the collective we're a part of, our podcast group, uh, into the night podcast at wordpress.com. You can email us feedback on this episode or anything you're thinking about with Moon Knight Podcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at ITK Moon Knight. Search Into the Night and Moon Knight Podcast on all good podcast um, catches, Instagram, Tumblr, YouTube. And make sure you join our group. It's a, it's a great place for discussion. Yeah. Thank you all for joining us once again. And as we always say, the country watch over the denizens of the night. Goodbye. Moon Knight and affiliated characters, stories and events are properties of Marvel Characters Incorporated. Materials used and discussed within the podcast are intended for critique and review purposes only under the fair dealing concept of the current Copyright Act. The views, information or opinions expressed during the podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the copyright owners.